This podcast is brought to you by the Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University. Hi, everyone. I'm Bev Jones, and this is Jazzed About Work, where we talk about everything that can have an impact on your career. Today, we'll be talking with ESPN's Mark Wright, a sports journalist whose dynamic career not only brings him interesting adventures, but also allows him to explore issues that he cares about deeply. Mark creates projects for The Undefeated. That's ESPN's premier media platform that explores the intersections of race, sports, and culture. Today, Mark will tell us about the making of Redemption Song, a short film about how Howard University's soccer team lost and then won back the chance to be the first historically black college to win an NCAA title. One reason we're so excited to have you here on Jazzed About Work is the way you've built your career. It's clear you're doing things you enjoy and you have a lot of fun. But at the same time, you're able to pursue some of the issues that you really care about. In a few minutes, I'm going to ask you to talk about some of the steps along your career path. But first, let's focus on what you're doing these days. As I understand it, you're the director of special projects on ESPN's um, premium platform, The Undefeated. It's not just a sports show, is it? Uh, will you tell us about the kind of issues and stories that it allows you to explore? Uh, well, well, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, I really appreciate this. Um, and uh, The Undefeated is indeed a, a unique platform, um, a digital platform on the intersection of race and sports and culture, uh, debuted in May of 2016. Uh, and, and really, The Undefeated allows uh, ESPN to get into conversations, uh, not only sports conversations, but but issues that uh, surround sports. So um, obviously, uh, you know, we've probably done more stories on Colin Kaepernick and players kneeling and 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 issues around why Colin Kaepernick chose to take that stand or take that knee and the players who supported him and and the conversation happening around that issue when you talk about the other owners and other sports and and just athletes feeling empowered to join that conversation where oftentimes the media might tell them to to just just talk about sports that is your platform and just leave it there and even making that a talking point as well and obviously um you know uh, conversations around culture and music and and all of that of course uh there's never a dearth of that um uh, in, in journalism and, and on digital and on social media, especially today. But we just thought uh, ESPN just felt and the Walt Disney Company just felt that it was time uh, that uh, they joined this conversation, particularly today, uh, in today's culture with everything going on in the world today. And, and, and really, I have to uh, tip my hat to ESPN's president, John Skipper, who felt it was important that we did this. Uh, there was some risk to it. Well, it, it sounds as though it's been a, a really meaningful uh, experience for you. But what might be particularly interesting is that you've been able to 
take your day job and turn it into an opportunity to 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 look at things that um, you feel passionate about. I I was captivated by a short film that you did last year, I think, Redemption Song, where you wrote about something that. Um, aligns with with your own history and and your love of your alma mater, Howard University. Can you tell us a bit about the story that that film captured, but also the story of you doing the film? Well, I I would say, thanks for bringing that up. I would just say that I'm probably the luckiest journalist in the history of journalism, uh, just because of how Redemption Song came to be and how I got to be a part of it. And it's funny, you know, ESPN's The Undefeated launched in May of 2016, and that's when Redemption Song was was uh, released uh, for the world to see. Uh, how how it came about was uh, I I am a product of you know Washington D.C., Silver Spring, Maryland, and I played soccer for Ian Bain. Ian Bain attended Howard University from 1970 to 1974. And he was Howard University's star midfielder on those uh, championship teams that were led by, led by um, Lincoln Phillips, who was a legend, a legendary goalkeeper who played against Pele in the 70s uh, and, and was a Trinidadian national. And he was lucky enough to become the head coach of this team at 29 years old. He capitalized on Howard's uh, large population of overseas students from Africa and the Caribbean and really built a legacy, uh, putting players together. A lot of those players came to Howard not even thinking they would play soccer. They just kind of saw some guys rolling a ball on the field and say, hey, there's a team here. And he put a team together that broke quickly rose to prominence, playing a different way with style and pizzazz that really uh, collegiate soccer had never seen before. You know, here at Jazz About Work, one of the things we're really interested in is leadership and how do people manage to lead in difficult or unfamiliar situations. You mentioned that this team was composed of people from a lot of different companies and cultures, right? And people who weren't, um, didn't have it in their head, this is what they're going to do. What was it that enabled him to to bring all these people together? And what was his leadership style? Do you have a sense of that? Absolutely. Uh, so Lincoln Phillips is, uh, is is a military man, army army sergeant. So uh, and he still looks the part today at seventy six years old. Um, so when Lincoln Phillips, uh, you know, put the word out that hey, I'm putting a team together, you know, most of those guys and their families said that's who's going to be your coach and that's what you're going to do while you while you pursue your your your. Uh, your your career of being a lawyer or a doctor or 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 whatever it is football soccer is going to be part of your life as well so that's the quick answer to your question it really all revolved around lincoln phillips but i i, I brought up my my coach ian bain who you know when i played soccer for him as a wet behind the ears a 16 17 year old we all knew that coach bain was a legend but we didn't know that he was you know, a Hall of Famer at Howard and won two national championships. And he was one of only two players to play to to be on both teams that won a national championship. So, you know, 25 years later to uh, catch up with coach and him telling me that, hey, we just got, you know, the team that I was on just happened to be nominated to just enshrined in Howard's Hall of Fame. Sorry, you missed it. And I'm like, what now? What is this? Yeah. 
you remember the story. You have to read Lincoln's book. And I'm like, Coach, this sounds like an ESPN 30 for 30 documentary. And he says, ah, it might be, but go ahead and read the book. So I quickly read Coach Lincoln's book. And it took me about two weeks, and I was just completely enthralled. I wrote a pitch to ESPN Films, a treatment to ESPN Films. I did not work in films at the time. I worked at ESPN Events, which is our uh, collegiate events group that manages a, a, a whole host of uh, bowl games and college basketball tournaments. So I didn't even work in films. I never, I was never a producer before that, but I was just really pulled into this story. I wrote the treatment, gave it to uh, my my friend, uh, Ken and Holly, who ended up directing the film. And he said, Mark, I just got goosebumps. This is awesome. Let's send it to ESPN Films. Long story short, they gave us a budget to create a short uh, and uh, we made a film. And the, well, tell us the story of the film. Tell us how the the um, Howard had this amazing opportunity to be the first historically black college to win a title and almost lost it, but then got it back. And that's the story. I mean, in, in fact, we the name, the title of the film, Redemption Song, which which. Uh, you, you you might recall that the, the famous Bob Marley song, which was titled Redemption Songs with a plural, uh, the title of the film was all about, the film was just built on redemption. You know, Howard University won that 1971 uh, national championship by beating Soccer House, really the, the New York Yankees of soccer at the time, St. Louis University. Um, but their, their, their victory was short-lived. Uh, so in 71, they earned a claim as the first historically black college to win a national championship, but would, would soon be stripped of their title and banned from postseason competition for season four elig- eligibility violations related to four players participating in amateur competitions in their native lands. And Howard cried foul um, you know, the entire industry cried foul because there was really no amateur competition in their native lands. Like these guys were just playing pickup soccer uh, and they got their hands slapped for it. Uh, obviously, the sanctions, all unfair at a time in, in, in America in the, in the 70s where the climate was almost like it is today. Uh, and Lincoln Phillips uh, said, you know, we can... We can cry about this. We can moan about this. But his famous quote was, a setback is a setup for a comeback. And three years later, uh, he managed to put another team together, face the same team, St. Louis, that they faced in 71. Uh, they went 19-0, and scored 63 goals, conceded just six, made it all the way to the national championship in 1974, four overtimes. And based on how I'm speaking, you know how the story is. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It, it's it's terrifically exciting. It's it's exciting as a as a, a sports story and a story of kind of victory of leadership, but also the the times you're talking about. Well, we are experiencing too much that's reminiscent of those times. It felt like part of what motivated everybody there was they were they were giving a voice about black excellence, about working together, about going past racism. They were uh, providing a, a, a way to address issues that were a lot bigger than sports. Is, is is that how you feel about it? Well, not only is that how I feel about it, it's exactly how these players, uh, that's how they felt about it and still feel about it today. 
you have to understand uh, these players on these teams um, did not grow up in America. So half of them didn't even realize the significance of the N word when other players would call them the N word. Well, what is this N word thing? Uh, I guess it must really be something because I see their emotions are really high when that word is uttered. So they had to grow into the fact that, hmm, I guess there's a movement afoot here and we're part of it. And, and by winning, we can ga galvanize people and we can give people a voice. That's a direct quote from Ian Bain, uh, something he said that I had to grow into. He came to Howard in, in 1970 as a freshman, not really understanding the significance of, of this movement that was growing which is what made the, the story and what they did so powerful. Well, that, that brings us back to you. I, I've noticed that very often when people are passionate about their goal, when they have a mission or something important that they want to contribute, all of a sudden they forget about their own comfort zone and they take a, a direction that maybe... Um, that otherwise be afraid to try. Now, I'm not suggesting you would have been afraid, but this story you were so passionate about, it turned you into a filmmaker where you'd never been one before. Is is Has that been a theme in, in, in your career, that you, you see something that matters and you go for it and you have to learn something new along the way? I think I think that would be, would be accurate. I said at the outset that I'm the luckiest journalist in the world. I mean, just to uh, to be the one who... who who was part of bringing this story to a a, a national uh, platform? So, and the story means so much to me. It's my alma mater. Uh, it's my high school coach, who was a father figure then and a father figure today. Uh, a lot of those players who are now in their late sixties uh, and and early seventies, they're now friends of mine. We talk, we Skype all the time. My sons play soccer. They call them and check on them to see. So the, the, this story is really, I am not overstating when I tell you this story has changed my life. Understanding that as a journalist, um, you have a greater mission and a greater calling where I can, uh, the little bit of work that I have to do on this end um, is so important to other people uh, around the world. Really just take yourself out of it and think of think of the greater good that you're going doing. So Yes, I, you know, I don't think of myself as a filmmaker. I just think of myself as a storyteller. And I'm just constantly on a hunt for stories that are meaningful. And if people cry along the way, uh, then that's good. It's a win. We'll be back with Bev after this brief message. Are you ready to make a difference in the world? The Voinovich School of Leadership and Public Affairs at Ohio University can give you the skills to do just that. The school offers a multidisciplinary approach where public policy, environmental studies, and entrepreneurship come together to educate tomorrow's leaders. Learn more about the Master's in Public Administration or Environmental Studies by visiting ohio.edu backslash Voinovich School. Well, let's go back to the beginning. When you started your career, it was a different world of journalism. Did you start out as a print guy? Totally as a print guy. Uh, print journalist, uh, journalism major at Howard University. Um, 
pretty much figured that I would be a a sports writer, sports editor, working at newspapers all of my life, like a lot of my uh, mentors and a lot of my professors. And actually in college, I had eight or nine internships. Most of them were print oriented. Um, I, I fancied myself a, a, a sports broadcaster at one time in my life, being an intern at the George Michael Sports Machine and CBS with the late, great uh, Glenn Brenner as well. And, and But I, I always kind of uh, had a, a healthy fascination with, with sports. I remember my mom, I would stay up and I'd be watching sports and I'd be reading the paper and she would say, you know, that sports stuff's not going to get you anywhere. And she said that with no venom. Uh, no malicious intent, but you know it feels good to know that this sports thing really has got me so well it 's the sports things, but also your attitude and your ability to adapt i suspect has has gotten you somewhere i 'm sort of fixated on you said you had eight or nine internships that 's fabulous, but you were ahead of your time weren 't you they weren 't so common and required as they are today how How were you motivated to get so many internships? Well, I had some great mentors and I had some great uh, professors at Howard University. Uh, and I, I wasn't, I, I don't think I was the best classroom student. I, you know, obviously I did more than enough to get by, but I just loved having conversations with my professors. Uh, a lot of them who had toiled in the trenches uh, in the days where newspapers and magazines mattered and you waited two weeks for, you waited a week for your Black Enterprise magazine, you waited a week for your Sports Illustrated and reading the sports paper, the sports pages every day was just part of your daily life. So I just, I just kind of fell in love with that. One internship led to two, two to three. And I just figured that's what I'm going to do with my summer and they pay three fifty a week. We'll go with it. And I, I, that's where the, the love kind of started. And so you started when you got out of college. You started working for magazines or newspapers. Or where were your first jobs? My first job was a part-time copy editor at the Washington Times. And uh, while I did that, I did some freelancing for other people. Uh, one of my, I think, one of the pieces that uh, it's it's actually there's it's a display in my in my in my home right now it was a piece that I was lucky enough to be brought on Washingtonian magazine and my my uh, co-editor my my mentor on that piece was Randy Ryland who is just one of a handful of people who uh, tolerated me and took me under their wing and and uh, showed me the ropes and there's still things that I learned from a piece that I co-wrote with uh, Randy Ryland that I still implement today in every piece that I do. Randy has been a guest here on Jazz About Work as well. And one of the things that we talked with Randy about, and I, I think is a theme in your career too, you're both folks who started out in print, but you're very entrepreneurial. You're always hustling. You're always looking for another uh, assignment, another place to tell your story. Yeah. It it feels like there's some big themes there, and I suspect that's part of what helped you make the leap from print to to digital. How how did that come about for you? Well, I think you know, you know, I'm I'm a natural hustler, and I, I and and I I just think that there's if there's an opportunity somewhere, you have to be open minded. You have to be open minded uh, and to go after it, and. You know, I did not have my eyes closed when I saw newspapers and magazines dying up the end of the 90s and early 2000s and drying up. And and I just didn't want to be that journalist who was so stuck in his ways where he's like, you know what, I'm not going to I'm not going to embrace digital media. I'm not going to embrace social media. And 
there's a lot of us out there who did not jump on board when it when when that change was happening. I'm just really grateful that that's kind of the attitude that I had going in early on. And uh, I think it's I think it's served me well. But, you know, it doesn't stop here. You as it as the industry changes and morphs, you better change with it because it will chew you up and spit you out. I've noticed that some people are fortunate in that they're natural hustlers. And I congratulate you. It's great to be born that way. But one of the things I've noticed is that even if you don't feel like you're a natural hustler, you can learn to act like a natural hustler and you can kind of manage your attitude. So for those people who are listening who don't feel they're naturals this way, what are your suggestions about being optimistic or getting yourself together when you don't feel like it? There have got to be times where you have to kind of push yourself as a hustler, aren't there? I believe. if And if you don't have, um, it's just not in you to be that person, to be a natural hustler, then you better find somebody. You better find a mentor who can, who you can tag along and learn the ropes from. You know, my son, who is a 16-year-old junior, wants to be a journalist. And mom and dad are both journalists. And he's just got a, a, a quiet spirit about him um, where, you know, he, he's not he doesn't strike you as the type of person who's going to, you know, jump at the head of the crowd to ask that athlete the question because he needs to get that question answered. And this this past summer, this past June, I was lucky enough to take him to Jamaica with me. And, we, and I covered Usain Bolt's final race there in Jamaica in his homeland. And we tried to get Usain Bolt to give us some private time to do a 30-minute a, a Q&A, and his people just kind of shunned us. So Max and I got to the press conference early, like an hour early. Uh, we sat in the front row. We found out where Usain Bolt was going to be. And I told my son, I said, listen, they're going to do Q&A time. I want you to record this on your iPhone because here's what's going to happen. When they say, now we have questions, I'm going to be the first one to stand up. And Usain Bolt's going to look at me and I'm going to ask the question I want to ask him. And my son said, okay. Anyway, long story short, that's exactly what happened. And my son recorded it. And the lesson learned there was, if you want it, you better go get it. I, uh, I love that. And now I've heard you say that in your family, it's your journalist wife who's the real rock star. Uh, is is that true? And do you do things together as a family? I love the idea of a journalism family. Uh, well, I know this is being recorded, so let me just say this. Very <laughs> <laughs> Heather Keats Wright is without a doubt the rock star in this family. Um, she did not uh, attend. She did not go to Howard University. I do not hold that against her. She is a Syracuse alum. Uh, a longtime journalist herself whose background was uh, in magazines and um, and and she, like me, uh, became a digital journalist as well. Uh, and she is just and she's the funniest writer um, that I that I've ever met. And I'm not just saying that because I know this is being recorded, but she is the rock star. I'll, I'll also add a, a five year breast cancer survivor. Uh, and she is just uh, the dopest of the dopes. Well, let me ask if people want to know more about you and your film and the things you do with your wife and your role at ESPN. Can you give us um, uh, some terms that we can search to find you? Sure. So, well, first off, uh, the the soccer film on Howard can be found at www.theundefeated.com. 
Um, it's it's there. Just do a search for it. It's there. It's uh, 20 minutes long. It's a worthy watch. I promise you, you will be enlightened, and you might you might also cry, which which was a goal of mine. Um, I'm on all the social platforms. My uh, Twitter handle and Instagram is right one w r i g h t underscore o n e, and my wife is Keats Wright K e e t s w r i g h t uh, on Twitter and Instagram as well. So we're all over the place. Well, I'm glad to hear that because I think people are going to be interested in finding you. You are a hustler. You're a talented storyteller. You're a prolific journalist. And you're a guy who knows how to keep his career moving, no matter what kind of bumps or career um, challenges or industry shifts come along. Now, let me let me ask a final question. Yes. For young people starting out now, whether they're looking at a career in journalism or some other industry, do you have some suggestions about how to pick up momentum early? Well, I think, uh, and I'm I love doing that. I, I I learned a lot from my mentors, and so it was important that I that I become a mentor, be a mentor as well, because at some point you're probably going to be working with a lot of working with or for a lot of the people that you mentored. And I just think that this advice is not just for budding journalists and not just for budding media people. And it's this: it's be consistent, um, be communicative. If somebody calls you, call them back. Um, somebody emails you, email them back. Don't be the person who, hey, Mark Wright's great, but you know, you, you got to call him four times for him to show, you know, get, show you the light of day. Uh, and, and just don't be that person because literally if it comes down to you're on a job interview and that becomes a narrative on you, uh, you're not going to be picked. And so I, I just think that obviously be a hustler, work hard, be the first one to ask the question, get there early, all those stuff. Uh, all those things that you hear across industries. If if you want to survive, if you want to if if you want to be a, a, a change agent, um, first you have to be the person who can always be counted on. And those things are just priceless in my mind. That's great advice, Mark. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We'll be interested to see what you do next. Thank you very much for the opportunity, Beth. Today we've been talking with ESPN's Mark Wright a mixed-media journalist who has built a career doing things he loves and at the same time sharing light on issues that matter to him. Today's tip is that a good way to experience joy in your career is to find ways to support issues and values that you care about. This can push you to build new skills and help you to create an expanded and supportive community. This podcast is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our audio engineer. I'm your host, Beverly Jones, author of Think Like an Entrepreneur, Act Like a CEO. Music